We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 John. When there's constant friction and hostility and war and conflict, eventually people are going to settle for anything just for peace. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that eventually people get so exhausted from the conflict that they're willing to do just about anything to secure peace. And the Bible predicts that the temple will be rebuilt on the Temple Mount, but that the Antichrist will enter the temple proclaiming himself to be God and demand to be worshipped. Have you ever found yourself wanting something so badly that you think you'd be willing to give anything to get it? In today's message, Pastor Gary warns us that the Antichrist is going to use that feeling against everyone. There'll be such devastation in the world in the time of the Antichrist, and they know it. They'll try and use that devastation to get people to turn away from the Lord and to worship them instead, just to put an end to the conflicts. there's only one being that we should ever worship. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 John chapter 2 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So when we left off, uh, we were right at chapter 2 of 1 John, right around verse 15 where John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So, We mentioned last time we were together that basically what he's saying here between these verses is that the world is both tempting and temporal, that the three gates primarily that the world will try to enter your life through are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The world is constantly competing for your affection, for your attention, for your devotion, And what John says here is, you cannot love both the world and God. That if you love the world and the things of the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. I mean, he makes it very plain here. He's a plain talker. You have to appreciate that about John. Because he writes with clarity, and he writes uh, very succinctly, and he basically tells us here, you can't be in love with both the world and God. You're going to love one or the other, but you can't say you love both. And that's why he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There in verse 15. So uh, we live in the world. We function in the world. 
We use the world's stuff, but we don't love the world and we don't love the things of the world. We don't belong here. We're only passing through. Don't get too comfortable. Don't fall in love with this stuff. Uh, We need to make sure that our affection and our devotion is on the Lord. And that's why he warns us. The world can be tempting. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He says, but it's not of God. Those things are of the world. And, uh, and thus, he adds in verse 17 that another good reason to make sure that our devotion is with the Lord and not on the things of the world is because the world's going to pass away. The world is temporal. This, this is a very temporary place. Life is a very temporary experience. But eternity is with the Lord. And that's why he adds here that if, we need, if the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides Forever, So that's what he speaks there concerning eternal life. Our ultimate home is heaven. Our ultimate destination is with the Lord. So we're only passing through. Don't get attached to the world. Don't fall in love with the world. Make sure your attention and your devotion and your affection is, is on the Lord. So that's where we left off last time. Then he goes into this next section. I'll read verses 18 down through verse 23. He says, little children... And John is elderly at this point, so everybody's a little child when you're really old. So he says, little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So he begins this section here, again, affectionately addressing his readers as little children. John is in his 90s at this point, so he sees himself as a spiritual dad, and these are like his spiritual sons and daughters. And, you know, here we are all these years later reading this as well as spiritual sons and daughters. And and he reminds us that this is the last hour. Now, John had no illusion about, you know, the imminent return of Christ. He says that he's living in the last hour. And you might read this and think, well, you know, this is first century. He was off because, you know, here we still are, you know, 21 centuries later. And and if that was the last hour, what is this? This is the last minute. That's what this is. If that was the last hour, this is the last minute. What we're reading here is John basically saying that he lives with the expectancy of the imminent return of Christ. That he lives his life in such a way, and so should we, that Jesus could return at any moment, because he could. And so it, it's not like John you know, has the timeline wrong. He's just saying to us, live in this constant expectancy of the imminent return of Christ. Because when you live like that, you tend to live a more holy life. You know, if you, if you lose sight of the return of Christ and think, well, that's going to happen one day and, and, you know, and that doesn't really pertain to me. And who knows when he might return? It could be in our lifetime or maybe not. But nevertheless, we need to live as if he could return at any moment because he could, because that motivates us to holy living. And he's going to go on to say that. 
But he remarks here about how we're living in the last hour. And then he speaks about a familiar person related to the last hour, the last days, the imminent return of Christ. And he mentions here the Antichrist. Now, the Antichrist is mentioned there in verse 18 with the direct article, the Antichrist, capital A Antichrist, is coming, he says. Even now, many Antichrists, small a and plural, have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Now, it's interesting, you know, whenever we talk about end time events, um, you know, the last hour, the day of the Lord, uh, inevitably, in in talking about it from a biblical standpoint, we're going to mention the Antichrist. Uh, What's curious is that the Antichrist, that word, that name, that title, is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible outside of 1 John and then once in 2 John. So we, we refer to the Antichrist a lot, but the fact of the matter is that the only time we read that title, Antichrist, is when John writes about him, right here. Now, there are four times that he writes about the Antichrist, uh, or, or Antichrist, small a, uh, four times here in 1 John, uh, and then once in 2 John, and we'll see that when we get to 2 John eventually. The Antichrist is always on our lips when we talk about end time events and the return of Christ and, you know, the world and, and the book of Revelation, all this stuff. But you're only going to find Antichrist mentioned right here in 1 John and once in 2 John. So just by working definition, when we talk about the Antichrist and, you know, here we are living in a day when things are stirring in the Middle East and you've got Iran now angry and, and Iraq is involved in Iran's anger towards the U.S. And, you know, and, you know, here we are, the big Satan and Israel's little Satan or the other way around. I, I forget which one it is. And so, you know, our eyes are on the Middle East and our eyes are, are thinking about things and as it relates to Iran, Iraq, Russia's involvement, you know, Ezekiel 37, 38, talk about this kind of stuff. And so the Antichrist is um, something we've come to here in the passage and something that relates to the end times. And I, I don't know if these events are related to the end times or not, but, you know, clearly we're moving toward that direction at some point. It's always safe for me to say from time to time that we're closer to the return of Christ than we were yesterday. That's always a safe thing for me to say. You know, I, I don't know when Christ is going to return. You know, I, I don't know when all of these things are going to happen and when the Antichrist comes onto the world scene and, and, and when you see all these uh, you know, armies converging as, as we read about in Ezekiel and, and Revelation. But one thing is clear. We are closer to all that than we were yesterday. And tomorrow, if I say that, I'll be even more truthful than I was today. But just by way of working definition, when we talk about the Antichrist, we're talking about a future charismatic political world leader who will be empowered by Satan to rule the world for a time until the Lord returns and overthrows him and casts him in to the lake of fire. This is not some figment of our imagination. The Antichrist is a real person who will be possessed by Satan, who will rise to world dominance there will be a confederate, a ten-nation confederation that will be over the entire globe. The Bible says that at some point in the future, uh, nations will be divided. The globe will be divided into ten geographical regions, and among those ten geographical regions, there will be one leader 
and the other leaders will turn their power over to him. And the Bible says this is that one. This is the Antichrist. Now, again, he's only referred to as the Antichrist in 1 John and in 2 John, but he's known by different titles in other parts of the Bible. This is not an exhaustive list. I'm only going to give you a few titles for the Antichrist, but he's known as the little horn in Daniel 7, verse 8. He is known as the prince that shall come in Daniel 9, 26. And he is uh, known as the beast out of the sea in Revelation 13, 1. And by the way, the book of Revelation refers to the Antichrist, again, not by the title Antichrist, but by the title beast 28 times through the book of Revelation. The Antichrist is referred to as the beast. And then also in 2 Thessalonians, uh, he is known as the son of perdition. He's referred to as the man of sin and also the lawless one. Now, what I'd like to do is actually read to you from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, seeing as how John spends a little moment here talking about the Antichrist. I'm going to give just a quick overview of who the Antichrist is, and I'm going to use 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 as kind of the parallel passage to what we're reading here in 1 John chapter 2. So you can either turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians 2, or you can just listen. I'm going to read 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 10. And this is one of the most concentrated passages of Scripture devoted to the Antichrist. But again, he's not called the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians. He's called the man of sin, the son of perdition, and the lawless one. So here's what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, now, brethren, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, meaning a, a time of of uh, rebellion, a time of uh, people renouncing the faith, the rebellion occurring first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, talking about the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. That's John said, the the spirit of Antichrist, small a, already in the world. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, the Antichrist, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So from that passage I just read, I'm going to give you five quick points about the Antichrist. This is just a very superficial overview of who the Antichrist is in terms of some of the telltale signs of how the Antichrist is going to function and work. One of the things that we read there in 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, is that he opposes God and exalts himself. And the book of Daniel tells us that he will enter a covenant of peace with the Jewish people for a seven-year period of time. 
But halfway into that seven-year period of time, he will reveal himself and demand to be worshipped. And so he opposes God, and he exalts himself, and he wants to be worshipped. Because this is a real person who will be possessed by Satan. It's interesting that when Paul refers to the Antichrist as the son of perdition, as, as the, the, the man of lawlessness, these are terms that were applied to Judas in John chapter 17, verse 12. There are only two people in Scripture that are actually possessed by Satan. Now, that isn't to say that people can't be possessed in general, because there are plenty of demons that can possess people. But specifically in Scripture, the only two people who have been or shall be possessed by Satan was Judas in the past and the Antichrist in the future. So this will be a real human being, a real person, a very charismatic political world leader who may even now be in the shadows of the world political system, Uh, may be visible on television. I don't know. But at some point, Satan possesses this individual and then operates, this, this person will operate in the spirit and power of Satan and, and obviously being possessed by Satan, he opposes God, he exalts himself. Another thing that Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians is that he sets himself up in God's temple to be worshipped, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, this is an interesting point because ever since 70 AD, there has been no temple in Jerusalem since it was destroyed by Titus Vespasian and the Romans, which means that the temple will be rebuilt. At some point, the Jewish temple will be rebuilt on the platform there in Jerusalem alongside what is currently there, which is the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And so there is room right there on the Temple Mount for the temple to be rebuilt. There are Jewish Zionists who have fashioned right now, already made, the articles of the temple longing for the day that the temple will be rebuilt so that then they can place the articles of the temple into the temple and again implement sacrificial uh, worship of the Lord. And so the Antichrist is going to broker a deal and somehow it will be agreed upon that Muslims can coexist with Jews on the Temple Mount and the temple will be rebuilt. You know, this almost happened. There was almost a peace deal struck at Camp David under President Clinton with then Ehud Barak, Prime Minister of of Israel, and Yasser Arafat, who was the leader of PLO. They almost came to terms for this very thing to happen. Uh, But Yasser Arafat held out for 100% of what he wanted, even though he was given like 90% of what he wanted, and it wasn't enough, and so the deal didn't happen. But it was close, and it's not going to take much. Because, you know, when there's constant friction and hostility and war and conflict, eventually people are going to settle for anything just for peace. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that eventually people get so exhausted from the conflict that they're willing to do just about anything to secure peace. And the Bible predicts that the temple will be rebuilt on the Temple Mount. But that the Antichrist will enter the temple proclaiming himself to be God and demand to be worshipped. Another thing that we read there in 2 Thessalonians is that he will be revealed after the rapture. Because it tells us in what I just read, 
Paul says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time, and he adds, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, in that passage there in Second Thessalonians, those pronouns he are capitalized because it's referring to the Lord. So it's telling us that God is restraining the revelation of the Antichrist until a particular time, obviously God's timing. But what he adds there, Paul tells us there in Second Thessalonians, is that what is in part restraining the, the, the coming of the Antichrist, or the revelation of the Antichrist, is he, and that he there in Second Thessalonians 2, refers to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is restraining the work of the Antichrist from coming to full revelation. The Spirit of God, however, is going to be taken from the earth at the time of the rapture. When the church is raptured, the Spirit of God goes as well. And thus, the earth is going to be absent the Spirit of God. When that restraining force is taken with the church, when the church is raptured and taken from the earth, when that happens, then the Antichrist comes into full revelation. Number four, he will also, the Bible tells us, perform counterfeit miracles and deceive people. Uh, It tells us in the passage I read there in 2 Thessalonians that the coming of the lawless one is in according to the work, uh, working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And so part of the work of the Antichrist will be counterfeit miracles, and people will be deceived, and they will think, in fact, some, that he is Messiah. And then finally, number five, the Antichrist will be overthrown and cast into the lake of fire. It tells us there in 2 Thessalonians 2, 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. And so all of this comes to a climax of the battle of Armageddon. The Lord returns and he brings victory to to Israel and to the God of Israel, because really the battle of Armageddon is against God and, and against Israel because the God of Israel. Uh, but Jesus returns and uh, levels all the armies that are in opposition to God, and, uh, and then he casts the Antichrist uh, into the lake of fire with Satan and the false prophets. So uh, much to come. Uh, Antichrist, not the most cheerful topic, uh, but nevertheless, one who is, if not already on the world scene, soon to come under the world scene. But because I believe, as Scripture teaches, that the church will be raptured before the full revelation of Antichrist, uh, I don't believe that we'll be here to see all of his evil, um, but yet the Bible tells us to be aware of it. Now, let's go back here to First John, because he encourages us in the midst of all that talk about the Antichrist and Many antichrists, small a, plural, are already in the world. You know, the spirit of antichrist. And, and we get this, right? There's, there's opposition to Christianity around the world. There's opposition to Jesus around the world. He says, but, in verse 20, look at it again. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Now, that doesn't mean that we know everything. What he's saying is in the context of what he's talking about 
He's like, you get this, right? Because this shouldn't surprise you. And the reason is because you have an anointing. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 John, a deep book with a simple truth front and center. We find this truth in 1 John 3.11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Did you know there's a way you can love your fellow listeners? We hope you learned something new as you listened today, and even more, that you were inspired to continue searching the Bible for God's love, truth, and grace. Would you join us in praying for your fellow listeners? With every message, there's potential for someone who desperately needs hope to hear about Jesus, and prayer is an incredible way to support them, even though you may never meet them. Or maybe today, it's you who needs prayer. We'd love to hear from you. Please send requests to prayer at ccvb.net. That's prayer at ccvb.net. Are you looking to go deeper into this study? Head over to our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, where you'll find companion resources that are available to you completely free. Once again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for in today's message. There's more to learn, so we hope you'll join us here next time for more from Pastor Gary on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know